But God's word in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us your word is living and abiding, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. So would you this morning use your word to work mightily in us, that you would encourage, strengthen, and draw us to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, you may remember that in 2018, a boys' soccer team in Thailand celebrated a player's birthday by exploring a cave. However, what began as a fun team event ended up being an international news story. For after the boys were deep into the cave, the area was struck with a monsoon. Rainwater seeped into the cave, blocking ascents and descents with deep water. They couldn't get out. It took nine days for rescuers with scuba gear and all kinds of other equipment to get to the boys due to the high water and due to it being muddy and having strong currents. Amazingly, when they got there, all the boys were still living because they found a high place that was two and a half miles into the cave. Five days later, they extracted the first boy in a three-hour journey that was assisted by over 100 rescuers to get them some of him who couldn't even swim, through the water in tight spaces, one which was 18 by 25 inches, the boys were extensively equipped. They were given anesthetics, so they were fully unconscious, and so they wouldn't be any hindrance to escaping. But it wasn't just the hundred there. All in all, 10,000 people from 19 countries helped with the rescue operation. It was out such a massive coordinated and international response, the boys would have died. But it's not such drastic rescues that are needed. Each summer, lifeguards jump in and rescue children from drowning. Firemen pull animals and humans from burning buildings. Each day, animals are adopted from rescue shelters. And this morning, we'll see that parents are called by God to be rescuers of their children. If you've been with us in our study of Ephesians, you will know that's no major, major revelation. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, makes clear that we're all born with selfish desires to rule our own life. We want to be master and king, and we reject God. That's why parents don't have to sit their child down and say, this is how you say mine. They all learn it naturally. Thus, what children need is not just more education or to have their love tank filled or have positive affirmations poured over their life. What children need most is to see that they have sinned and that God graciously sent Jesus so that by faith in him they can be forgiven, restored, and adopted into his family. And the way that children are to respond is then given in Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And Christian parents similarly honor God by following what it says in Ephesians 6.4. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, before Christmas, we saw that the phrase there, bring them up, actually comes from one word, the word for nourish. 
Christian parenting should have a nourishing, tender aspect about it. There should be an aroma in the home of grace, respect, encouragement, and love. And we noted then 10 ways we can provoke our children to anger. And we turn today to see God's call for us to bring them up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. You see, there's really two aspects here of godly parenting. First, it involves a formative aspect in which we're modeling, explaining, teaching, and showing our children how to live for God. But second, it also has a corrective side or aspect of rebuking, counseling, and punishing. Today, we're going to focus more on that corrective side and next week on the formative. But I'm sure for some of you, you're thinking, but this sermon doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm a child myself, or I'm well past the child rearing years, or I'm not yet at the child rearing years, or I'm never going to have children. And yet God has called us to be a community of believers that encourages, exhorts, and strengthens one another. And there are parents in here, and sometimes to love those parents, you need to give them a word of encouragement. Don't give up. Keep going. Sometimes you might need to give them a word of exhortation. Hey, I can see what you're doing, but I really think you should be doing this. And as we speak the truth and love to one another, we will grow as God wants us to as a church. So this is not just a sermon for the parents. This is a sermon for all of us. And to explain how we do this, I've used the acronym RESCUE. If you have the bulletin that's on the back, or if you have the sheet, you can see it laid out there. Now, as we go, you might have great hope after the first one, because it'll probably be really short. But then you'll get to other ones, and you might panic. Boy, he's going on on point two. This is going to take forever. They're vastly different in their length. But rescue will guide us through. And the first one, the R, is remote discussion. I'll give each one as we get to them. But the R of rescue is remote discussion. You know, when a child does something wrong, it's most often best to discuss that with them privately. You can send them to their room. You can go with them to a bathroom or you can find a corner. But I've found, both in parenting and when I was a math teacher, if you confront someone publicly, their natural defense is going to be, I want to save face. And they'll argue. Because they're not just concerned about you, they're concerned about everyone else. But if you have them go away to a quiet place, it gives you some time to calm down before you get there. gives them time to compose themselves. And it allows you to have a discussion about the issue at hand and not what is everyone else around us thinking. As well, it helps them not be unnecessarily shamed. Your goal is not that everyone else knows that you're punishing them. It's that you are caring for them and what they need. So in discipline, being remote is helpful. As well, God calls us to respond to E, every rebellion. So E is every rebellion. And this really stems from the command that children are to obey their parents. I mean, if God expects total obedience, then that should be what parents expect their children to do. Patrick Morley and David Delk in their excellent book, Dad in the Mirror, write, Do not allow what God prohibits, and do not prohibit what God allows. To allow what God prohibits is called license, an inappropriate sense of freedom to disobey God's clear commands. To prohibit what God allows is called legalism, an inappropriate reliance on following rules to be considered righteous before God. Either one will poison your relationship with your child. You see, when a child disobeys, 
They reveal their rebellion against God, which they need rescuing from, which is why I chose this acronym, Rescue. Your Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. Your child thinks, following my own desires, instead of God's commands for me through my parents, will bring me joy. But you're called to point out that actually it'll lead to their own destruction. And thus, as parents, we should not allow disobedience. It's not enough merely to shrug our shoulders, be frustrated, and move on. We are called to reward good behavior and punish disobedience. Well, why? Again, because God demands obedience. You know, think about what, how God is a good judge. God does not say, well, I'm going to count to three. He doesn't say, if you do that again, and yet when we do that, we're implying that's what God is like. Our children, like us, need to be rescued from the satanic delusion that we can live apart from God and rebellion to God and not be punished. Now notice, I didn't say we should discipline every mistake. Them spilling milk is not a sin. It might be frustrating, but you shouldn't punish them for it. Now if you had told them specifically, don't do this action with the milk, and they do it, well that's a different matter. But then being children... Being clumsy is not a disciplinary offense. As well, neither am I saying that all discipline must be the same for every situation. Consider a child's tantrum, which should be dealt with. There's a major difference from a tantrum because you won't buy them what they want in the store and because they're two hours late for their bedtime. They both need to be discussed. They both need to be dealt with, but in radically different ways. Now, I know that today many people are very nervous about this idea of requiring obedience from children. We're told that we're going to stifle their creativity, that we're going to harm them. Yet let me give four groups of people who are blessed if you require obedience of your children. First, you will bless God. You know, the Bible teaches right here in Ephesians 6 that God delights in our obedience. So if you want your children to be a delight, a pleasure to God, then you'll be a blessing to them if you require their obedience. Which leads to the second group blessed by your required obedience of them, your child. You're not harming or stifling your child, but rather blessing them if you have them always obey. You know, first, as we just said, you're leading them down the path of God's blessing. Why would you want to allow them to go down a path that's going to remove God's blessing from their life, both now and eternally? Second, requiring them to obey is a blessing to them because you actually know better than them. You know that just eating candy is not good. That eating oatmeal and vegetables will be good for them and it will give them the nutrients they need. You know that they need sleep, that they need to go to school, and countless other things that they don't think are very good for them. Yet you do know, and so you should require them to do what's best for them. Third, you bless your child because they will, it will prepare them for their future. You know, they're going to have a hard time keeping a job if they've always been able to do whatever they want. They may even put themselves in harm's way. You may remember the tragic story in 2013 of a 13-year-old who was shot by police who they thought was about to shoot them with an assault rifle. 
Tragically, the assault rifle was a fake. Yet though the police had told the boy twice, drop the gun, he instead turned and pointed it toward them. You know, if he had learned, and we don't know all the details, but if he had learned, when an authority speaks, I obey, it might have saved his life. And this leads to the third group that is blessed by requiring obedience, society. The famous Christian theologian Augustine wrote over 1,500 years ago, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Now, you might think, as many in our culture think, that what I'm saying is quite extreme, but let me ask you some questions. How often do you want your waiter to accurately take the order you give them? Or what if they go, you know, that was a lot of instructions. We make it just fine. I'm just going to turn it in the way I want. How often do you want your company to give you your paycheck on time? What if the payroll person says, this is a lot of demands to get this done by this time. I, I don't really want to do that. How often do you want the fire department to show up when you call them to come take care of a fire? Or It's the middle of the night. I'm too tired. I don't want to. And of course, the answer to all those questions is 100% of the time. We never want them to go, eh, I don't, this is one of those that I'm just going to opt out of. Yet, why would we allow our children to over and over think, I can opt out of obeying? You know, consider children like a tree. If you've ever bought a tree, sometimes when it's in the ground, it's leaning a certain way. Well, if you don't do anything, it's going to grow that way. But you could stake the tree and pull it so that as it grows, it matures and grows the way that is good for it. Well, like children, we need to, quote unquote, stake them against their desires that are harmful and what is good for them. And we shouldn't expect that all of a sudden when they're an adult, they're just going to go, poof, oh, I guess I should start obeying authorities. No, we need to train them. So, out of love for God, out of love for your child, out of love for society, you should require obedience. But fourth, requiring their obedience will be a blessing to you. I save this for last because it might seem that, that this is overly selfish. Yet just like obedience is a blessing to your children, so your obedience to God, part of which is requiring their obedience, is going to be a blessing to you. But it's not just in relation to God. It'll bless your life now. Now, you might think this is incorrect because many people will think, oh man, if I disciplined every disobedience, that's all I'm going to do. All day, I'm just going to be going around correcting my children. However, that's not true. Children quickly learn what the expectations are and they normally adjust to them. That's why Proverbs 29:17 says, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. It's the disciplined child that brings delight, not the undisciplined. Thus, Proverbs 29:15 adds, a child left to himself, meaning a child that can do whatever he wants, brings shame to his mother. Now, parents, I'm not naive. I have four children. Parenting can be exhausting. It's much easier to pretend I didn't just see what happened. It's easy to be worn out and just go, oh, they never obey. But please, for them, for God, for society, for yourself, don't throw in the towel. Don't count to three. Give clear, age-appropriate and loving commands, and then enforce them. Though it's very hard, parents don't give up. You know, sometimes that discipline is simple. It might just be a word. It doesn't mean you have to do some elaborate thing every time. 
might be a short conversation, but whatever it is, fulfill the God-honoring call of raising your children for Him. Now, in saying that we should enforce obedience, I'm not giving an excuse for sinful anger. That's our third point, soft answer. So we've had the R, remote, E, every rebellion, S, soft answer. In other words, avoid anger. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger, though not always wrong, does not bring about in your child the righteousness that God wants in them. You know, venting gets it off your chest, but it doesn't bring change in their heart. Discipline should occur not because you finally reached your level of frustration or because they've defied me. Ultimately, disobedience is wrong because they're defying God who puts you in charge. And one way to control our anger is explained in Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, there's this misconception that the only way to show control is strong, loud words. Yet, control is not normally about the volume of your voice, but your own control of your emotions and the resilience you have to follow through. Kids can quickly realize, are they going to do what they said or not? So we should parent without sinful anger because we are trying to reflect God to our children. Lamentations 3.33 says, For God does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. You know, God in his love doesn't allow us to continue in sin, but he's not eager or excited for the afflictions he gives due to our sin. Thus, if you're in a situation where you can't avoid sinful anger, then pause and get control first. This is the benefit of having your child go to another place, to go to their bedroom or your room, so that you have time to get composure. You can and should wait until you have time to get control of yourself before taking disciplinary measures. Now, sadly, I know many people have a hard time hearing anything I'm saying because they've never experienced firm but loving discipline. Some have only known parents who tragically go from one extreme to the other. They do nothing. They're extremely passive until all of a sudden it bursts and then it's horrific. It's ugly, sometimes leading to rage and abusive actions. And thus, to hear me talk about discipline with compassion seems like an alien concept. Yet by the grace of God, we can do that. You know, God desires parents to change just as much as children. So we don't have to continue the cycle of either passivity or exploding rage. You don't have to just throw up your hands and say, They never listen. There's a middle road between nothing and anger. And that road involves firm patience, compassionate action, and loving discipline to rescue your children from their rebellion. You see, the goal is not punishment for punishment's sake. Our goal is correction, to steer them back to the path of life and blessing. And yet it makes no sense to discipline them when you are in an uncontrolled and undisciplined state yourself and so when we respond to their actions and attitudes we must have a soft answer so we've looked at r 
E and S. The C of rescue is concrete consequences. Concrete consequences. Now, I use the word consequences because there's no one-size-fits-all discipline that should be used. You know, you could have put many different options there. Concrete, fill in the style. But at times, correction might just be a look. Sometimes a pause causes everyone to look up and you can give them the look. And they know exactly that they need to nip in the bud what is going on. Other times, you might need to have a longer conversation or perhaps something stronger. Yet no matter what we do, we must remember what was read earlier, Hebrews 12, 11, that says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it didn't say cruel or unusual, but the discipline should have some element of pain that lets the child know that you know their sinful actions have led to bad consequences. Now it isn't that we want them to learn isn't you know basically we want them to know, look, there are consequences in God's world, and there are much worse consequences if you continue on this path. You know, temporary pain can be an excellent tutor and motivator. You know, when you touch the hot pan, that's a great tutor for in the future, check to make sure it's not hot. You know, in exercise, the mantra is, no pain, no gain. And at times, the pain may need to be a removal of a privilege, time alone, or a spanking. And what the causes are, are going to depend on the age of the child, the seriousness of the offense, their awareness of what they're doing, whether it was wrong or not, and there's so many other factors. You know, no matter what you do, they should know that sinning against God has consequences. Consequences. And this begins with, first, words of correction and reproof when you have control of your emotion. You know, the most important tool you have in parenting is your words. Words to your child and words to God for your child. Your words should be at the beginning and the end of your discipline. No matter what the discipline is that's chosen, they should clearly know that what they did was wrong, why it was wrong, what the punishment will be, and that daddy or mommy loves them. And that's why they're doing this. And I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about spanking. Now, it's not because I think this is the only way to bless discipline, or that this is like some great soapbox I have, but rather it's because many Christians are now choosing that it will never be a way to discipline. So when I talk about this, please remember, I'm talking about doing this while avoiding anger, having control, and being clear with your words before and after what will happen. But here are these words from Scripture. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, this verse is not primarily saying that children say goofy, silly things and you must make them be serious. You know, folly in the Old Testament is someone who lives their life outside of God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The flip of this is Proverbs twenty-nine, fifteen, that says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Now, wisdom is not primarily being able to answer obscure philosophical questions. In the Bible, wisdom is living in the fear of the Lord. It's living a life in reference to God. So here, both negatively and positively, God's saying, with our words and with spanking, we can teach our children the reality that God is creator 
and judge. And that one day every thought, word, and deed will have consequences for good or bad. And so a controlled, explained, and firm, or a couple to few firm swaths on the behind, can be a very tangible and clear lesson about consequences. Now, I know, I'm not naive to the fact that many people today just think that what I just said is abuse. And there's three common objections, so let me answer them. First, I would never hit an animal, so why would I hit my child? Well, first, maybe I wasn't clear. I'm not talking about hitting your children. I'm talking about a controlled swat on the behind. As well, you'll also never send your dog to its crate and then go have a discussion with it. You know, the analogy between humans and animals breaks down very quickly upon reflection. You know, sometimes children bite. I've known that if a dog bites twice in almost any state, it needs to be euthanized. No, we're not going to continue the analogy to children. As well, when we've gone out of, our ta- out of town, we've taken our dog to a kennel. We would be arrested if we took our children to a kennel while we went out of town. And the point is quite obvious when you stop and think about it. Children and animals are completely different beings. We shouldn't compare them when it comes to discipline. And for some reason, people use that as some great argument for why they wouldn't. Second, we're told, doing this teaches children that violence is the solution to problems and will make them violent and abusive. Well, again, I'm not saying violence is all right. A spanking should be controlled, proportional, and it shouldn't leave lasting physical damage as well i suspect the majority of adults now in america were spanked at some time and yet we don't have a society raving with people who are abusive we were able to see the difference between abuse and loving discipline related to that in 1979 sweden outlawed all forms of corporal punishment in the home So if the thinking is true that, look, if we get rid of corporal punishment, we will lower violence, then Sweden should be like down in the bottom of violence in their society. But yet, more than four decades removed and violence has only increased. They now have more children hitting parents, minor and minor assaults, and parental abuse of children. Thus, clearly, this supposed link that if you spank your child, it'll turn them into a violent person is neither true positively or negatively. Yes, we should 100% be opposed to all the horrendous and abusive forms of corporal punishment that tragically do exist. But that's not the same as saying all corporal punishment is abusive. Third often thing is some people say, well, it's just wrong. Okay, well, if you're not a Christian, I just have to ask, well, how do you know that's true? What moral guidelines are guiding you? Is there a book that you're getting this from? Is it society is telling you this? Is it some so-called expert? Is it your own opinion? How do you really know that's true? And for my Christian friends who say this, you really need to be careful. For at the very least, God exhorted Israel to do this in the Old Testament. Now, I believe these instructions are for us as well. But if you say this is always abusive, then you're really saying that God called for abuse. But before moving on, let me quickly give two major benefits of spanking. First, there can be immediate restoration. You want your child's child knows what they did is wrong and they confess it and you administer the number of swats you said, then it's all over. You can go back and enjoy your time with your child. And second, and closely related, 
You don't have an ongoing punishment that causes lingering issues in your relationship. With timeout, grounding, or other such methods, which can be good at times, you keep being reminded over and over through the hours or the days or whatever of the issue that exists between you. It's not, that was in the past. We've moved on. It's, we're still dealing with this until we get to the end of this punishment. And then you have the complicating issue that some children, they're quite happy to be sent to their room. And some, once they go to their room, they throw a fit there. Well, what do you do if the very means of punishment is only causing more? Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying spanking is a cure-all. You spank your children, they're going to be perfect. Or there's not going to be challenges in doing that. I'm merely wanting to combat the complete abdication of it and encourage it as a great tool that God has given us in rearing our children. However, we discipline. We do this because we want our children to know our unambiguous and unconditional love for them. So we've had R, E, S, and C, and now you, when you discipline, your children should know your unambiguous and unconditional love. You know, when we talk to our children, we need to express that we love them. You know, when it comes to discipline, that should be a regular refrain. That is our love that spurs us to our actions, not our anger. And this should reflect our God. For as Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. As one book puts it, Our children need to know, yes, I love you, and no, you can't have your own way. You know, the tragedy of not disciplining is seen in 1 Kings. 1 Kings, the beginning of the book, is the transition from King David to who is going to be king next And King David is old, and everyone knows that Solomon's supposed to be king, yet Solomon has a brother named Adonijah who attempts to take the throne for himself. And we're told why in 1 Kings 1.6, for his father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? David never told Elijah something he didn't want to hear. You know, notice the issue was not David's personal walk with God, nor was it his desires. You know, the name Adonijah means my Lord is Yahweh. David desired for his son to be raised up and know that Yahweh is God. David had a wonderful walk with God. However, just because you live correctly and have right desires doesn't mean you have the right actions as a parent. David refused to tell Adonijah the things that would make Adonijah upset. Now, of course, as parents, we want our children to be happy, and we also desire our own happiness, which is harder to have when your children are upset. Yet, God calls us to look beyond our child's or our own short-term happiness and instead focus on the child's holiness in their long-term happiness. As Hebrews 12:11 says, for the moment All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who were trained by it. Thus, to say I love my children too much to discipline them would be like saying, I love my children too much to make them take their medicine, or brush their teeth, or wear a seatbelt. It makes no sense, for the very act of discipline is an act of love. 
And all of this is done well when we also communicate compassionately. So, rescue, we are going to communicate compassionately. You know, in the New Testament, one book said, sorry, in the New Testament times, one book said that a father should whip his son, it's not the Bible, and beat him often as a child. As well, he should not play with his son or share in his laughter. Now that is the not, that is the exact opposite of what the Bible is saying. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You know, we're not tyrants who need to be followed. We're servants of the king of kings who's given us children to steward. And as God's stewards, we show compassion so that we can show the compassion of God to our children. Got a little distracted there because I should have switched the order. Concrete consequences should have gone before unambiguous. So for those of you who are wondering what Resuki is, it's um, just a misplaced letter in the order. Sorry, I was really distracted there for a second. Um, but parenting is really a fine balance between truth and grace. We're not drill sergeants. We're not Colonel Von Trapp whistling commands to our children so that they show up on time. You know, this is the case because we're called to, yes, call them to obedience, but we're not drill sergeants. We don't get in their face to reprimand them. We come alongside them to help them. You know, we don't have red faces due to their rebellion against us. We have red faces of sadness, of tears, that they are continuing to rebel against God. And all this happens as lastly, which is spelled correctly here, you have E, you express humility. Express humility, last point. And this means that we need to convey to our children that we are sinners as well. Thus, we talk with our children and beside them, not down to them. I would have never done that when I was a kid. Conveys, look, I'm a morally superior being to you, and I can't believe you would stoop to such an action. Instead, we should say, yet but the grace of God go I. You know, their sin is a reminder of our sin as well and the need we have for a Savior. Yet this is one of the most wonderful things about discipline. It's the regular reminder to us and our child that God loves to help and save sinners. That he offers help and mercy to the humble and contrite of heart. One of the damaging things of not requiring obedience and discipline in your home is that it allows your child to pretend they don't really need help, that they don't really need Christ. Yet when they disobey and you discuss it with them, it shines light on our great Savior and His forgiveness to all who confess and forsake their sin. Thus, discipline is not a time to lecture, preach to your kids or let them have it. Rather, We're to draw them out and help them see not just their sinful actions, but their sinful hearts. This last summer, Keith led a series over shepherding a child's heart. Really good. You can watch the videos online for free. They're very helpful. And in that trip, writes or says, Your first objective in correction must not be to tell your children how you feel about what they've done or said. You must try to understand what is going on inside them. You want to understand your child's inner struggles. You need to look at the world through his or her eyes. This will enable you to know what aspects of the life-giving message of the gospel 
are appropriate for this conversation. And so God calls us to correct, to discipline our children. It's very difficult. Parenting is probably one of the most challenging things that people face in life. Yet God gives many of us this high calling in which we get to be his representatives to our children. We can grow weary and tired. We can think our efforts are never going to produce any change. Yet God calls us to be faithful to him in the task. Cry out to him and leave the results to him. We've been sent on a rescue mission to save our children. It's difficult. But the rewards far outweigh the risk and the challenges involved. Let's pray. Lord, you know every adult. You know every child in here. Lord, you still know those who need eternal rescuing. So Lord, would you work even through a sermon on parenting to rescue people, to help them realize that one day we will all stand before you, but there is great hope. Not that we've been perfect, not that we've done everything right, even as parents, but that your son was perfect in our place, that he died in our place, that we might be forgiven and restored. Lord, may we be bearers of that news, not only to the whole world, but also in our own homes, to our children, and helping them to know the great rescue there is in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.